Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorika Talbo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Emmanuel Probst, global leader and brand thought leadership at Ipsos, the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Brand Hacks and adjunct professor at UCLA. Emmanuel, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Yuri, thank you so much for having me. Good, uh, good morning or good afternoon, everyone, depending on where you're based and when you're listening to this podcast. Right. Well, wonderful. Well, again, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with me today. I, so I, I gave a quick little you know, uh, in, intro to you, but for my listeners who are less familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Yeah, uh, what I do is I support our clients with brand guidance and brand strategy. That is, I help our brand clients optimize the performance of their brand, measure the equity of their brand, and activate, that is make decisions so that they can increase their return on marketing spend, return on ad spend. Mm -hmm. So that's my experience. My experience is in measurement, brand guidance, and brand strategy for the last, ooh, I'm dating myself 16 plus years. <laughs> and that's what um, we do at Ipsos for our clients. Ipsos is arguably the largest market research firm in the world with about 12,000 people across many, many markets. And I also teach at UCLA, consumer market research. And obviously, I, I write books as a hobby. <laughs> Wonderful. Excellent. So let's, um, before we get into that, I want to back up a little bit and talk about your background. So uh, what initially got you interested in brands? Because um, I see that you initially studied psychology in, in school, mm -hmm. and how did that translate then to what you're currently doing now in, with brands? Yeah, interestingly, I've always been fascinated with advertising. When I say always is, I remember when I was a teenager, I would collect magazines and select the ads that appealed the most to me and display those ads on the walls. So when most of our teenagers had pictures of, you know, Guns N' Roses and Nirvana and Britney Spears on their walls, I had ads, particularly for luxury brands. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one, because for full disclosure, I have expensive tastes, but also because the art of, from these brands is, in my opinion, always very compelling. Mm -hmm. And I'm not so much thinking about perfume, for example, but I'm really thinking about watches and Louis Vuitton and, and those brands that always had fantastic artwork. So that's how I got into it. I've always been interested in advertising and mm -hmm. in brands, what they convey and how people relate to them. And it became my job eventually. Yeah. 
and you spoke about my consumer psychology background, really mm-hmm. my what keeps me up at night, literally, is to understand why people do what they do. And that's the connective tissue between what I do at Ipsos, what I teach and what I write about is why do people do what they do? Why do people relate to brands the way they do? And how do people interact? Mm-hmm. I wonder if you could also just briefly talk about the, your journey. So when you, after graduation to what you're doing now, you've had a, a number of different interesting types of, of roles from, from being a, you know, a writer to other, another brand strategist. But how have you thought through your career post-university to what you're doing now? Yeah, well, market research, the truth is that was random. So when I was studying for my MBA, I needed a part-time job to keep the cash coming. (laughs) (laughs) And I lived in London at the time. Mm -hmm. And there was that market research firm that advertised a part-time position because we had clients in the US and in other European markets, I could work early in the morning or late at night and weekends. And that's how I uh, signed up for it, if you will, because those were very, very long days, but I would go to work in the morning, then go to class and then potentially go back to work. After when I graduated from my MBA, that's how I came across that firm Research Now, which now is Dynata and employs 3,000 plus people across the world. But at the time, it was 43 of us mm-hmm. in a dinky little office in London. And they were looking for someone with understanding of market research, bilingual, and graduate experience. So that's how I got the job. Okay. And just a, a short story to say that I started in market research, honestly, really because I needed a job. Mm-hmm. However, uh, within weeks, if not days, I got compelled with what the work was about because I thought it had some depth and it was meaningful, unlike many more tactical roles in marketing. Okay, excellent. So let's, let's jump into your brand new book. So it's entitled Brand Hacks, How to Build Brands by Fulfilling the Consumer Quest for Meaning. What, what initially made you want to write a book? Yeah, um, because I read a lot of books and I've been privileged to attend a lot of conferences mm-hmm. prior to the pandemic, uh, maybe four to seven conferences a, a year for the last 15 plus years. Yeah. And um, again, I'm always compelled to hear from other brands and other practitioners. And I, I, I really always welcome the learning experience. A limitation that I identified is an overwhelming uh, majority of the content had to do with we're marketers, how can we sell more products to our consumers? So very top-down approach that is how can we force feed our clients with more products, more ads? And I thought there was an opportunity to pause, take a step back and say, wait a minute, let's, it's painful to admit, but let's reckon that most consumers don't want more brands and don't want more ads. Mm -hmm. People don't care about your brand most of the time. So what are people trying to achieve? They're trying to find meaning in their life. They're trying to grow their personal identity, to connect with others. 
others and to access culture and discovery and travel and adventure. Those are meanings. Yeah. If we understand those meanings as marketers, from there we can build brands that help people fulfill this quest for meaning. Mm -hmm. So that's why I wrote the book to look at marketing through a different lens. And to be clear, I'm very respectful of the other books that are out there and all those conferences I spoke about, but I'm just offering a different perspective to the reader. Sure. So I'm curious in, in your opinion, so particularly the, you know, the, as we mentioned this, the, the podcast audience of, of this show are primarily artists and mm -hmm. Most of them have never been asked to really think through their brand, like in, in schooling. And I know this was my experience. Um, that's not anything covered. So you learn, you're a painter, you learn how to paint. And then when people talk about brand, it's like, what's my style? So in, in your experience, how should a, let's say a new company or even a new artist who's launching something actually think about brand and how it relates to what their like the consumer is, is of their product is going to be. Yeah, well, really interestingly, I would argue that one of the first marketers and extremely talented marketers was Picasso. Mm. And in fact, for our listeners today, there is an article on my LinkedIn that you can read simply um, going on LinkedIn and type Emmanuel Prost and the article, of course it's free. And the article is called What Picasso Knew and Every Marketer Should Learn. Hmm. So the reason why I think Picasso was such a talented marketer is first off, he was one of the first ones to go only by his first name. Mm -hmm. Then you had Madonna, then you had Cher, Cher and Prince and uh, now many other artists. But to simplify his name, that was personal branding right there. Also, he kept producing a lot of work. He kept, I'm sorry, producing a lot of work so that he would have large inventories to sell. And the third, there are many other angles, but the third thing that Picasso was doing right is to have different tiers, if you will, of art to produce, meaning you can sell pieces at five figures or four figures, maybe um, for our listeners today, but it's also important to sell plates and mugs at 20, 30, $40 that people can afford. So right. to address your question precisely, my key advice to our listeners today is one brand recognition, make sure that people can understand your name. Uh, DJs do this very well. Mm -hmm. right? DJs simplify their names very often so that people can pronounce and remember them. Make sure it's, it is short so that people can tweet it. That helps. And be consistent. That is, make sure that your brand identity is the same across Instagram, all social networks, your website, your business card, your printed documents, and so on and so forth. And produce a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, those will be my, my starting points, if you will. Sure. Um, so for for those listeners who maybe don't know even where to start on this, and so maybe they're still you know in the early stages and and they want to say produce a lot and 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 want to have a distinguished brand again similar to what you just brought up with Picasso, but they 
don't even know where to start. They, they don't know like how they want to really convey themselves. How do you take a step back and, and look at the big picture in that sense? Yeah. Well, question number one, how am I different from everything that's already out there? Mm-hmm. And in branding, once again, it's the exact same thing in the arts. Uh, we call that saliency, right? What makes your, your work salient? What makes your work stand out? And if you're successful 10, 5, 10, 15 years down the line, people could or should recognize your work straight away. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You have to create work, create art that is different and eventually easily recognizable. And it's a mistake to think that artists and musicians create and invent everything themselves. It's a concept called copy, transform, combine, whereby you always inspire yourself with work from other artists and you transform this into something new. But once again, what's most important my guess, and uh, you tell me, Yuri, is at art school, you probably learn a lot about techniques and how to paint and all that, which by all means is valuable, but um, big artists have factories and people working for, for them, right? Uh, Jeff Koons was a financial investor. He was a private equity guy. To the best of my knowledge, he didn't go to art school. He has 20 plus people working from him. So the point I'm making is the output is important, the saliency, the style to make what you create different and easily recognizable. I think that's where you have to start. And also what I'm noticing, Yuri, this applies in painting, in sculpture, in music, is you have to create and it does too in writing, you have to create something that people can easily understand and are easily appealed to. And that's very hard mm-hmm. because, because it may sound less sophisticated for artists or for writers for that matter, yeah. but it's important that people can relate straight away. Okay. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on influencers. And so it's it's very much a hot topic nowadays, and it's mm-hmm. it is something where a lot of even larger brands want to hire, let's say, a social media influencer for what they're working on, or a generation growing up now wants to be a social media influencer. And we hear a lot of you know kind of back and forth on them, on that. But in your opinion, how do you think about social media influencers from a brand perspective, and and how they relate to actual let's say value? to the brand in a good or bad way? Yeah, I think the advertising industry and also maybe the public, people are finally waking up to influencers. So five, seven years ago, influencers could command crazy um, fees just to place the brand in in their videos and all that. Now there is more accountability around the return on investment, meaning brands are no longer willing to pay $50,000 so that you can use my product in your video for five seconds. Mm-hmm. So I think where we're at and what's encouraging for our listeners today is very few influencers have large followings 
And that's not necessarily the goal. What you need is a loyal following of people that are very involved. Mm -hmm. The ones that we call the micro-influencers are becoming very successful because if you create art or any other niche product for that matter, you're better off with Jerry Salts or influencers that have a much, much narrower following, but of devoted followers, if you will, as opposed to uh, placing your art or your product with Kim Kardashian, whom has millions and millions of followers, although with no disrespect for Kim Kardashian, she's not really my go-to when I want to buy sculpture or photography or, or paintings. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the relevance and the uh, entrenched relationship between the audience and the influencer is way more important than the numbers. Okay. So something you mentioned, which was about the return on investment on these, and for many individuals, thinking about the ROI of, of your brand is, is very nebulous. How, when you either work with clients or, or speak to your students um, about this, how do you think about and um, find out the return on investment for investing in, in brand or other kinds of brand type of um, uh, strategies and images? Yeah, so that's where there is a difference between the very big brands we work with and the individuals, although uh, it's encouraging, let me tell you. Uh, here's why. So the very big brands, look, we have plenty of tools to measure return on investment, right, in terms mm -hmm. of brand awareness, brand equity, what we call purchase intent. And then in uh, on their platforms, we can measure advertising exposure and click-through and basket and recency frequency purchase. And we'll have so many ways to measure what we do. The yeah. truth is that applies well to the likes of Marriott Hotel, Google, Facebook, and you name it, someone big. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, for our listeners today that are creating, promoting their personal brand, uh, money, of course, money always matters, but it's not the one with the biggest budget that wins. Once again, think of something clever, think of something different, think of something salient. Prior to spending money and investing left, right, and center, try to be different. Mm -hmm. Try to be recognizable. And from there, I think if your work is good, I think if your work stands out, people will notice. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, of course, this is a very long-term game. Again, it's the same thing in writing as it is in the arts. I have people contacting me on a regular basis, maybe almost every month, I have someone contacting me saying like, oh, I read your article on one purpose. It's so great. Well, that article came out in July, 2020. Hmm. You, you, you see, so that's what we call the long tail in marketing. So don't yeah. give up folks, keep putting some work out there, keep being different. And for your personal brand, since in all likelihood, you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on a PR agency and extensive websites and presence yeah. and software tools and boosting posts and all that, rely on the saliency of your work to stand out and keep at it, keep uh, pushing some materials out there. Once again, exactly the same thing in painting and in writing, whereby, yeah, I write books. Importantly, I publish content, uh, maybe three, four times a week, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So just to 
keep the audience engaged and interested and you never know what sticks. Yeah. I've been at it for many years and to this day, I still have a very limited understanding, if any, of what makes an article, uh, what gets an article some traction or not. Interesting. So on, on that part of it, does that mean that when you write an article, it's so who, how do you decide what to write about and who to mm. write for if you're not 100% sure, you know, what makes it, let's say, sticky? Yeah, well, again, I'll, I'll draw a comparison with artists. I think you have to stay true to yourself. So I said earlier that you want to create something that people can understand and um, can appreciate quickly. At the same time, staying true to yourself, it means that's where you should stop doing marketing and you should really be an artist. That is what is compelling to you takes priority over what's going to sell. Mm -hmm. And I think if it's compelling to you and people can understand it, then it will sell. But here again, just like writing a book, I could sit at my desk and say, I'm gonna to try to write a New York Times bestseller that is going to appeal <laughs> to the widest possible audience in the United States. Yeah, I could do this. I think that book would be pretty blunt and I'm not quite sure I can write it anyway. The way I go about it is, oh, what is a powerful idea? Well, for this book, the powerful idea was meaning. And from there, we build a book that we hope will appeal to a wide audience. And I think it's the same thing for an artist. You know, if you love neon colors, work on those colors and work on those materials. And from there, people will get on board with you as long as you can explain also your art why is it you do what you do? As a, a brand specialist, how do you think about, let's say, chasing trends? So, for example, right now, uh, the NFT, NFT is a big buzzword. Mm -hmm. NFT is very popular. Like, seems like everybody is putting out an NFT from Paris Hilton to Gary Vaynerchuk to Nike uh, yeah. nowadays. And so, and they're, you know, and the valuations are, are going like crazy. How do you think about something like that, which is very trendy, but may not necessarily last the, the test of time? Well, I think many of these people are jumping on the bandwagon to monetize fast, as nobody knows if this is a fad, a trend, or something that's going to be around for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I certainly wouldn't talk on behalf of Paris Hilton, Benershek, and those guys, but I see it as a very easy way to monetize something that um, had been at the bottom of your hard drive for the last 15 years <laughs> and, <laughs> and you had forgotten even existed and all of a sudden you can extract five figures, six figures from it. Right. Also because unlike the traditional art market that relies on galleries and auction houses uh, in the NFT world, you cut the middleman, right? Right. So next as an art form, why not? I think our listeners are more qualified than I am to talk to this, but I can see how NFT can be an art form. Mm -hmm. uh, and to be humble about 
my my knowledge but also limitations is i don't have a crystal ball to know where the whole nft game is going right. in all likelihood you're going to have a few big scandals of fake nfts and scams and people doing business from a boat in bermuda while smoking cuban cigars with everyone else's money you know the type mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and eventually my guess is things would clear up uh, whereby you will have a few uh, established trustworthy market players mm -hmm. and maybe three, four, five market players here that are going to somewhat, I wouldn't say regulate, but someone dominate the market, just like you have with auction houses between Christie's, uh, the Puris, Sotheby's, and, and a few of them, right? So I see it evolving the same way. Sure. How do you think about storytelling as a brand um, advisor? Right. So storytelling is a buzzword in marketing, rightly and wrongly so. Marketers like to have buzzwords. It makes you sound cool and intelligent at uh, <laughs> cocktail parties, right? So with that said, the reason why storytelling is important, and actually that again applies to the arts, is because in branding, you have a functional benefit and an emotional benefit. That is, what can the product do for you, but how does it make you feel? That's the emotional benefit. And of course, the more you go towards luxuries, the least of a functional benefit there is, the more of an emotional benefit there is. And that really applies in the arts. So let me illustrate. You can buy a Louis Vuitton bag for $3,000. Uh, to carry your laptop. However, you can also carry your laptop in a paper bag that you get for 10 cents from Whole Foods or a plastic bag that you get free of charge from Walgreens. So the functional benefit of that Louis Vuitton bag is worth 10 cents, maybe, maybe a dollar. But the emotional benefit of carrying that bag that looks so cool is worth another $1,999.90. In the arts, it's the same thing. Nobody needs a giant balloon bag in his garden for only six or seven million dollars, but you want it because of the emotion it triggers in you each time you look at it. Mm -hmm. So in your art and in what you do, you always have to think about the emotional benefit, and that's where people find meaning. And the functional benefit is, is limited in the arts. So the emotional benefit, how it's going to make me feel instantly, it has to appeal to me instantly. Yeah. That's what the emphasis is on. And that's what I meant by saying, you don't want things to be complicated to understand for people. Mm. It has to be love at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I, in your experience, how has branding changed during COVID or has it? Um, and linking back to storytelling, mm -hmm. uh, the storytelling teases out the emotional benefit from the art or from the brand. Again, what's important for an artist is to explain to his audience or her audience, how did you come to create what you did? through COVID, the story has become even more so important because you need to create narratives for people 
you don't have a store environment anymore. You don't have a restaurant anymore. You don't have anywhere to go out to. You're locked inside your house. Mm -hmm. So even more so now than ever, the product has to tell a story or rather you have to tell a story that supports the product. All branding marketing is directly or indirectly based on this story. When you go to a store, it's because of a theatrical experience, if you will. It's because of your interaction with the staff. It's how the product is presented. Because even if you shop on Madison Avenue in New York, on Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles, on Bond Street in London, uh, and you shop for a $3,000, $4,000 handbag, the truth is it comes to the store in a dirty cardboard box in a crappy truck, okay? <laughs> and eventually, <laughs> It sits yeah. in a warehouse uh, infested with rats for a few months. Uh, maybe not the rats part, but you get my point. That's not glamorous. Right. What is glamorous is the display, the lights and all that. So back to your point, to get back on point, is the story has become even more so important through COVID as people needed narratives to experience those products and frankly uh, experience life in general, mm -hmm. daydreaming, if you will. Mm -hmm. With everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you were ever given? Be curious. Be curious. I think that's the best advice. And that is what connects all the work I do. And in my opinion, <clears throat> should um, be also a, a MO for artists. Mm -hmm. Be curious about what's out there. That is the most beneficial advice, I think. Excellent. Well, Emmanuel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners want to buy your book or read more about your writing and what you're up to, where are the best places they could go online to do all of that? Yeah, thank you, Yuri, again, for having me on the show and to our listeners today. I really appreciate it. There are so many ways in which you can connect with me. Um, the book is called Brand Hacks. It's available on Amazon, of course. You can order it. Uh, it's available in hardcover and ebook. Also, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Emmanuel Probst. You can also look at my personal website. It's emmanuelprobst.com. And if you want to access a lot of materials completely free of charge, you can go on ipsos.com, I-P-S-O-S.com. And there you can download tons of papers and articles, again, completely free of charge without even having to share your email address. So take advantage of the free content. I mean, I'd love for you guys to, to buy my book. <laughs> but but um, my point is take advantage of the free content that's out there. And again, I am directing our listeners today to my LinkedIn profile to read that article on Picasso that's completely free of charge and I think very, very relevant to our listeners today. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you. And I will put links to all of those in the show notes so everyone can click right through. Terrific. Uh, Wonderful. But again, thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolute pleasure. Excellent. Thank you again, Yuri. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me, 
or buy a copy of my book, be left behind, go to yurikataldo dot com. thank you so much, and have a great day.